Welcome to the Good Rookies Podcast. My name is Fahim. My name is Nellie J, and we are Good Rookies. That's right. Y'all, we are episode seven. Yo, Fahim, I love the number seven. It's just, it's divine. It's just an amazing number. And we got seven, but we also got some exceptional guests today, which I'm so excited about. They're going to drop actual and like lifelong knowledge for y'all today. So Fahim, please introduce our guest today. So I match your enthusiasm, uh, just to the fact that <laughs> normally uh, when we speak off the cuff and we discuss things, uh, we play armchair doctor, meaning like we have no background at all. Zero. <laughs> but we just give our opinions like we know what we're talking about. Well, of course. So <laughs> it, it's great right now to actually discuss actually things that have to do with physical health and mental health and actually have some experts so if we get off the line they can definitely put us back on track mm -hmm. so uh our first doctor that we have up is uh dr joelle kerr dr j why don't you just tell us a little about a bit about yourself uh, good evening, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Dr. Joel Kerr. My patients nicknamed me Dr. J, uh, mainly because I love ball, been a brown ball. Uh, he's definitely one of the top, great, best basketball players of all time, Dr. J. And that's, that nickname just literally stuck. Um, my designation is in chiropractic, doctor of chiropractic, and also medical acupuncture. I currently own and run the Health Institute, which is a multidisciplinary clinic in the east side of Toronto, which is the best side. It's called Scarborough East Side. Um, if you don't know, you need to know. Uh, we offer yes, yeah, Scarborough's in the building. We offer a wide range of um, manual therapy, from physio to chiro, uh, naturopath, FST, strength training. We pretty much do it all in-house and try to keep everyone and anyone, doesn't matter if you're able-bodied, elderly, young, uh, we just promote movement and living a healthy lifestyle. And I noticed, Joel, that like your clinic has a lot of like people of color that work there, which is actually really rare, it's really like rare to find in Toronto. I, I understand the word weird that you mean, but it was <laughs> by design. Um, I manifested this idea when I was sitting in high school in grade 12, daydreaming about what I wanted to do. And when I closed my eyes and looked at it, everyone looked like me. So that it's, it's not by accident. I specifically created an environment where all the practitioners, the people who make the decisions for people's health, look, looks like us, all four of us uh, on the screen right here. That's awesome. Well, I must say it's actually inspiring uh, to see it, tell you honest truth. Um, Appreciate that. No, and I mean that, like, for real. It's inspiring. Yeah. All right. Um, so our guest number two, <laughs> we have Dr. Benjamin Igwe. Ben Benjamin. 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 <laughs> Benjamin. <laughs> ben. Dr. B. Dr. B. Tell us a little about yourself. Oh, man. Thank you guys for having me on the show. Um, as most people probably already know, I'm Janelle's brother, um, but I'm my a, older a, brother. 
<laughs> I'm a physical therapist by day, MBA student, father by night. <laughs> so got to shout out my wife for holding on the fort during all this COVID situation. Um, but a little bit about what I do. Um, I've been a physical therapist for about 13 years now. I predominantly work in outpatient sports and orthopedic related physical therapy. Um, so that's kind of been my area of expertise over the last 13 years. You know, I've dealt with from high school all the way up to professional athletes um, in rehabilitation. So uh, a little bit about my background. So Currently one I'm question for you guys, for the guests to kind of know your, your, back, like your sporting, I guess, passion. Um, what or who is your favorite team of all time? Whether it be the team you watched in high school, the team you watched, it could be anybody, but what, but what was your favorite team growing up, not today or back in the day? If mm. you can name one team. I'll go through, go through Dr. J. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's interesting is, is football was my main sport that I played. Mm. Uh, when I was in high school and had some opportunities to play secondary, but my mom wasn't feeling it. Jamaican mom, she didn't understand men in tights jumping on top of you and all that stuff. So she wouldn't let me pursue that goal. So, um, but football was my main sport. And sadly, it was the Buffalo Bills. So those four straight Super Bowl mm -hmm. championships in my heart, crushing in four <laughs> different places. That, that was my, that was pathetically, that was, that's, that's my team that I remember and hate at the same time. Okay. <laughs> just one, one. Just if they had one, one, it wouldn't have been so pathetic. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Doctor B, what about you? Oh, for me, I'm a fan of greatness. So starting with Chicago Bulls, that's where it all began. Yeah, buddy. So, <laughs> uh, MJ, MJ diehard, followed by Kobe, kind of followed followed that trend. So, mm. but Chicago Bulls, I would say. Awesome, man. That's dope. We got Chicago, we got Buffalo Bills. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. So, Fahim, let's get started with the, with the segment, Zoned In, Zoned Out. Yes. So, in Zoned In, like I said, it's a special episode dealing with mental health. Um, there's different ways we can go about this, but I think um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of lay out um, anything I say, if, it, if it's not... I don't want to say politically correct, but if it's not, if there's, if there's, if there's room for correction, please don't hesitate, okay? Because um, I'm just going to speak as I would normally speak to somebody because um, I just feel that's, that's the way we're going to get a most genuine conversation out of this, okay? So uh, we've heard about Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott uh, just recently came out and he mentioned about uh, he's having bouts of depression. Uh, which was with, uh, had to do with mental health, right? So, first of all, I just want to go real quickly around. In regards to what Dak had said, it got a, a bad uh, rap from uh, Skip Bayless, who's a prominent uh, U.S. Uh, sports personality, we'll say. Okay? Um, in regards to the stigmatism that comes with mental health, where Skip had said that uh, it, it's seen as a weakness, okay? Um, and the reason why I'm kind of laying it out like this is this. Um, we have, for instance, the Mamba mentality, right? And we talk about the Mamba mentality, that's like something that's seen as like, um, in sports, you have that mindset, 
Um, but when we're talking with mental illness and, and different forms of it, uh, I just want to see what's your take in regards to um, this, the stigmatism that might come with the word mental illness. Uh, in one aspect, we have the Mamba mentality, which talks about um, uh, mental, or not just uh, a, a head game of being in a positive light, but then you have depression, which is being in a negative light. So I just want to kind of get your, your feeling on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, we'll go with uh, Dr. J first. Well, firstly, um, Skip Bayless is not just a sports personality. I really think he's a sports clown more than anything. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and that just tells you how I feel about his, his comments with regards to Dak. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to understand that sport in general, these young men are under a microscope. Uh, everything is under uh, review, full review, uh, prior to social media and the access that these players have to everyone now. Uh, it's, it's amplified. So let's just take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't a job for everyone. And I love the fact that you did bring up Kobe because the, the polar, they're polar opposites. There's certain athletes, there's certain individuals who can go through numerous amounts of adversity and come out of it uh, unfazed. And unfortunately uh, for Dak, he isn't built like Kobe, which is okay. And there isn't anything wrong with that. What is more dis disturbing, disgusting, disappointing about Skip's comments is because of the fact that we are trying to build more awareness about mental health and that and the timing of his comments as we are all in a global pandemic where we're fearful of anyone sneezing or coughing around us and that already is bringing on mental uh, a ton of amount of anxiety so his comments are beyond irresponsible and in my humble opinion he should have been fired but I am not in charge of Fox News and whoever is is, 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 is a borderline clown as well. But I'm, I'm just gonna start with that. Um, there is no weakness in saying that you need help. And for anyone who's out there uh, who's, who needs help, uh, I don't see any weakness in that. Every single person on this earth has gone through a moment in time where they doubted themselves, where they needed extra encouragement. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. The difference between um, making it is if you're able to ask for help and you, wor you work your way through it. And that's what we really need to have more of in society. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or you're a teacher or you're a physical therapist or you're uh, a podcast uh, provider. Like we all go through moments where we need an extra little boost. Um, I can say the one thing that is, is of challenge now. And I, funny enough, I was on a conversation about this two weeks ago uh, in a platform, is the self-diagnosis of mental illness. And it's looking at a friend of yours posting something on social media and be like, I got that, I got that. Oh, I must have this too. Like that, that's where I feel like we need to make sure that people are getting diagnosed correctly and getting the proper treatment that they need to be able to work their way through these adversities because everyone is going to go through it. And the only difference, like I said, and I'll repeat this is if they, if they get the proper help that they need so they can continue um, with their lives and whatever it is that they need to do. That's my take on that. Awesome. All right, Dr. B. 
Yeah, I just have to reiterate a lot of what Joel said. You know, in the States, about 18% of people suffer some form of mental health uh, condition. So just think of one in five. So just kind of, kind of thinking what that, like 45 million in the U.S. I'm sure in Canada, it's not too far from different. Now you throw a pandemic, you know, everybody's trapped in homes. A lot of people are suffering from this type of um, issue. I think the the biggest thing is is really trying to seek help and creating an environment where people know it's okay to reach out, you know, whether it's, it could even be a family or friend, but, you know, reach out to the medical professionals who, who deal with this on a daily basis because they're going to give you the best tools to help you get through the struggle or, you know, difficult time you're going through. And I have to commend Dak for stepping up, you know, He's on the Cowboys. That's, you know, they say America's team, but that's, that's the, that's the biggest, the biggest fish in the football pool, even though they haven't been winning, but that's the biggest team and he's their quarterback. So for him to step up and, and, and discuss his mental health condition, that's, I think that's tremendous for him. And I think if I was his teammate, I'm all about authenticity. I don't need somebody trying to be like Kobe I need you to be the best deck you can be. And I think by admitting um, the struggles he's going through is going to make it easier for me as a fellow teammate to kind of follow that. that, that. So um, that's kind of my take on that. Ellie J. Yeah, so I have a couple of takes. And you guys, like, literally, thank you for sharing that. It's so good seeing Black men talk about it's okay to ask for help it's okay that it's okay to not be okay right and i want to mention two things about this topic number one who would you consider the greatest quarterback of all time tom brady right i think we're on the same boat tom brady at michigan had severe anxiety and severe depression he was on the bench at michigan and he was failing tom brady was probably the worst player in michigan at that time and guess what he did he understood he had a problem and he seeked out and got a, psych, um, a, a psychologist and a therapist to help him with anxiety and depression. And his therapist coached him how to work well under pressure, right? Now, my QB was Peyton Manning. And we all know Peyton Manning will throw picks in the fourth quarter in Super Bowls, right? Tom Brady's probably the biggest closer we've ever seen in NFL history because he had a therapist. At a young age, he got a therapist. He got someone to teach him how to perform in severe, under pressure, how to understand mental health, how to coach himself out of anxiety and depression when he's down. And Tom Brady has come back from many, from being down in many, in many big games. So if someone like Tom Brady had a therapist and got one, and now look, look at his success, why is Skip Bill is talking about like Dak like he's crazy? Like, you know what I'm saying? So Skip is definitely a clown. He spoke out of pocket, and I really feel that, you know, I think even DeMar DeRozan said, Skip, like, shut the hell up, because we all know DeMar had depression and anxiety, too, at Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry has anxiety at Toronto Raptors. Like, a lot of athletes have mental illness, and like Joel said, we don't understand how much pressure it is to be a professional athlete. Wherever you go, people follow you. you like, if you go to a party, a club, pick, like, like you're, you're under everyone's, like, camera. 
So I just feel sometimes we have to be compassionate. And I feel like Skip spoke out of pocket. Mental health is real. And I feel like as fans, sometimes we forget about these players. Like, oh, well, you know, they're millionaires, you know. Who cares? I'm like, yo, but yeah, they're millionaires, but they're human beings too. So I think sometimes as fans, we have to kind of take a step back and say, look, look. Yes, these guys are performing well in, in game four or game seven. We saw PG-13. And even he said, he said, guys, mentally, I've had a rough time in the bubble, right? And Fahim, he discussed about how the bubble can cause some mental issues throughout the playoffs. And we saw that with the Clippers. So I think we have to understand, like, yes, people do perform well, but I think there's a lot happening physically and mentally. And so I'm happy that players spoke out. I saw that I think Dak, another NFL player, is actually going to work together to start a suicide program, which I think is amazing. So I hope more athletes do um, kind of, um, I guess, put more money into mental health because I think it's something that we have to invest in, in our community as Black people, and I think we need to have that stigma erased. For right. Sure. So I, I remember there's a lyric from uh, P. Rock and C.L. Smooth when I was uh, younger in high school. And he, he, the lyric went, um, the number one killer of black men is stress. Wow. And that's something that when I was like 16, 17 years old, I heard that. Um, I didn't even understand like, like the truth behind it, right? Yeah. I, can, I can just imagine, because um, we speak about, we're speaking about athletes, but spending this outside of sports. Um, I can imagine the type of stress. I remember in high school, I wasn't the best student right mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of younger people in high school right now who might be dealing with some kind of form of stress which would be considered in some form of a mental illness a mental problem right so um if you guys can just real quick if there is maybe if there could be a parent here listening who might have a child in that situation or a child themselves a younger person who's listening to the podcast um real quick in like a minute or so if we can just summarize what they can do if they feel like if they are under uh, stress or having depression, what would, what would be a, a course of action? Well, I know in Canada, we have um, multiple resources for uh, anyone, no matter what age. And we have some even with specific ethnicities that people can call. Mm -hmm. um, I know on our social platform, uh, we've been putting out on our stories, these numbers, they range from Kids Helpline to Seniors Helpline to the Indigenous Women's Group. So just accessing resources like that is the first um, step that I would say to anyone who's out there. These things are free, which is the best price out there. Um, they're anonymous, so you don't even need to identify your name or whatnot. Um, and we have them on our platform and there are highlights. Uh, Jay, I can share them with you as well on our social, because I feel like that is something that we, we can start with. And just another little thing that I know we, I do and my team does well at our spaces, we change names, we change labels. We don't use traditional words for therapy. But I still think if you tell someone, hey, you know, oh, I couldn't make this call tonight because I'm going to therapy, you guys are going to look at me like, oh, man, this guy is sick. Something's wrong with him. So we actually changed therapy to coaching. Yeah, emotional uh, coaching. Uh, I, call, I call that too. It's like, cool. It is coaching though. Like you're coaching like, someone through mental strength, right? It's like strengthening your, your muscle, strengthening exactly. your mind. Exactly. So I had to actually drop that on a, uh, a gentleman that I know where he was struggling through some stuff. And I said, man, you got to reach out to a therapist. He's like, oh, I don't need that. 
I, I, that's 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 for crazy people. I said, listen, you have a daughter. He's like, yeah. I said, you brought her to me when she injured her knee, right? And he's like, yeah, because you, you strengthened her knee. I said, brother, right now you need to strengthen your brain. And the phone just went right. silent because right. it really, I could hear it just go into his brain and just boom. Right. So if we could just start using language like that, just encourage people to get coaching for their mind, their soul, their heart, whatever you want it, whatever it is. But that, that's, that's two ways that I feel like if we just use different words and encourage people to use free resources, we could get more people to help that they need. Um, I have one, one, that's a great point uh, that you made because it made me think, so this is a guilty as charged moment. Um, I just want you to correct me if this is like, uh, maybe not uh, politically correct or something I shouldn't say, but here's what I have done. Um, for instance, DeMar DeRozan played in Toronto for many years. Um, I was, I constantly say, you know what, if DeMar DeRozan had Kyle, Kyle Lowry's mentality, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, mm -hmm. I would say, oh, if DeMar DeRozan had, um, you know, so-and-so's uh, killer instinct, um, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'd always get down on DeMar um, because I didn't, what I was seeing on the court in his performance and body language, I wasn't seeing the dog, the aggressiveness, et cetera. Um, and then he came out and, and said that he's dealing with depression. Um, are the two correlated? Like, am, am I being insensitive now knowing that he, he is dealing with depression? Is depression possibly something that would be leading to um, me coming to that conclusion of what, whether right or wrong? Or like, I'm just throwing it out there. Dr. B, like, I mean, like give me basketball back in the day. Yeah. Like, do you think depression would... Well, for anybody who plays sports, you know, I'll say 90% of it is mental, right? Right. So, yeah. And, we're, and that's the thing. We're dealing with somebody who's... On that same physical level, especially once you get to any professional level. Right. But it's that person who has that mental edge that's going to kind of be the one who separates themselves from, some, from the pack. But so is it possible for somebody... Bit, like physically, he's as good as any, any athlete in the NBA. Right. So, differentiation is the mental, right? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Definitely is going to play a role in his performance. And then probably how coaching is reacting to his performance is going to affect his performance even more. But I remember a situation where he got benched in the playoffs. And I could just imagine how that would affect your, if you're already going through depression, how that can affect your um, confidence. I feel like a lot of a lot of sports and athletes is all about your confidence of your play. So, uh, is it possible for one to have the Mamba mentality and still deal with a mental uh, coaching opportunity? Like, uh, mm -hmm. that's a good question for him. Because I'm wondering. Remember, right? M Mamba mentality is learning how to remember. All it is really is saying, "I have a weakness." And I'm going to attack that weakness and get better. So I think mama mentality should be driving you to improve on your weaknesses, whether it's depression or anxiety. So, but I think the problem though is that a lot of coaches, I think the older coaches are unaware of the mental importance of players. That's why I love me some like Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson understood that the mental health of his, of his athletes 
was as important as physical. Hence why Phil had them meditating. Remember like meditating on the court, having visualizing, winning, like Phil did so much stuff off the court because he understood that mentally you have to be prepared for those tough situations. So I'm wondering like Dr. Joel, like, like I know that you help a lot of athletes in Toronto. Like, are you asking these coaches or people that you work with saying, Hey guys, how about you guys hire a team therapist or a team, like a, a team emotional coach to help you? Because I think like, like these young kids like playing now, I think they should be learning now, like at 13, 14 on how to mentally prepare for that stress as they get older. Right. So like, do you think that'd be a good thing to do from, from now? Absolutely. Uh, I work with a prep team right now uh, in Markham, and we have a sports psychologist on board, as well as um, myself and my resources at my office. So we definitely access and utilize every and any tool that we can to encourage these young people to tap into building their mental uh, cognition. Uh, because it's 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 it, you don't just pick up a basketball and learn how to do a left hand layup. Like it just doesn't happen that way. You got to practice. You got to put things in practice. I get these kids to journal. I get them to. We this past weekend we were out in a farm. We're doing farm work together. We're, we're pulling weeds. We're, we're we do all those things that, like you said, when you get into an adverse situation on the court, you can think back to that time where we had to pull that damn weed out of the ground and it wouldn't come out. And we had to get five guys on it, um, literally to try and pull it out. So all those things are going to reflect itself. We're down by 30 in the first quarter, and we can just draw on that, 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 that adverse moment. But I wanted to go back to the point about DeMar for a second and yeah. just reiterate something that, that, uh, that Ben said. We got to remember that our brain is the most important tissue on our body. You can strip away your skin. You can take away your muscles. And you could just be left open. And if your brain isn't protected, nothing hurts. And here's the thing. Trauma doesn't get erased. So every piece of trauma that you've ever experienced in your life is in your brain. And something can trigger it. Getting benched can trigger it. Missing 10 shots in a row can trigger it. Someone look at you funny will trigger it. And it just brings you right back to that first moment when that first trauma happened. And you're basically a child all over again. So when we were looking at DeMar, we're looking at Pascal, we're looking at PG, looking at all of these guys performing with everyone's eyes on them, and they look like mere images of themselves. Mm -hmm. We can't just say that they suck, because yeah. it's bigger than they suck. It's not, they don't suck, first of mm -hmm. all. Yeah. They really don't. It's just right now, their brain, their trauma is taking over any of their skill development, any of their intelligence, mm -hmm. motor skill-wise or, or cognitive-wise. And it's literally sucking the life out of them. So the comments about the players sucking and, and they're, they, they're no good and trade them and all that stuff, it's just pure, I'm sorry to say this, insensitive mm -hmm. and it's illogical. And it just infuriates me because these people are just so ignorant that they don't even understand the, the mental aspect of playing sport. Awesome. I just want to piggyback what you just mentioned uh, in regards to uh, uh, trauma that could have taken someone back to a place. Um, I think of Nick Anderson. Uh, Nick Anderson, um, he was in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and he blew, went to uh, the free throw line, and could have won the game at the free throw line, and missed two free throws. Remember and, that. And that went on to literally, that was a career-shifting yeah. move for him mentally. Mm -hmm. 
The next yeah. season, I'm talking a matter of four months, he was yeah. a shade of that player and he never got back never got to back that. Either. So that's, that's, I'm just speaking specifically to that. And um, I just want to mention something real quick if we just want to, regards to support. Um, in, the, in the NBA, um, you know, they say the NBA family. Um, Mark Cuban proved the family aspect of it. Um, having Delonte West, I heard about them. who was That's dealing, so who was dealing uh, with some uh, mental issues, addiction. And, I think addiction he had he was in rehab. Right. So no. So um, and he was actually in a real bad place on the mm-hmm. street. Just and uh, Mark Cuban heard about this, went to a a gas station where he was at because he was he's begging for change. He's just in a bad situation, and Mark Cuban went and picked him up, um, took him to his family. And is now, I guess, uh, apparently what I'm hearing, has him in a hotel, um, paying for his rehab and trying to get him back on his feet. Yeah, so, so good. So a story like that in regards to having uh, the support you need, um, I think is key. And I think that really speaks to the NBA and Mark Cuban. So I want to shout him out for that also. And um, just to add, though, I feel like we need more of this. I think, like, remember the episode, episode two, where we spoke about how a lot of athletes become bankrupt a lot of athletes go into depression, they go into addictions, right? So I think mental health, I think every team, and hopefully Dr. Joel, Dr. B, hope you guys can push this as well. But like, I just hope that every sports team moving forward really do invest in their athletes and their teammates' mental health. I think if you're a parent and your child's going to go into professional sports, get them an emotional coach, get them an actual mental coach. I think it's so important. If Tom Brady got one, and I, I would think everyone should do it too. Like, look at Tom Brady now. Like, man got some rings, right? And he's still yeah. playing at how old. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to transition this to physical health now. Now, one thing I've noticed with this season is there's been a ton of injuries. Um, even in the NFL, as of late, there's just been more oh, yeah, injuries. Than yeah, just a ton of injuries. Crazy. But in the NBA, what I've noticed is um, I don't know if there's ever been in NBA history that I can think of where you've had such high-profile players not miss a month or half a season, but I'm talking being out an entire full season and come back. This is like uh, you can make an all-star lineup of these, these players that have been out for literally an entire year. We're talking <laughs> about KD. We're talking about Kyrie. We're talking about Clay, We're talking about Steph. And we're talking about John Wall. We're talking about prominent players who have been out for a significant amount of time. So what I'd like to do real quick is do this. Um, we'll throw out the player, we'll throw out their injury, and I just want everyone quickly to do one of two things. First, tell me the percentage that you think they will be when they come back. So they could be like uh, 80% of the former self, 90% of the former percent, 70%. Give me the percentage and give me just a quick, and I'm talking quick within like 10 or 15 seconds, of why you think they'll be at that percentage, okay? So our first one is Steph Curry. Steph Curry's been out for the entire year with the wrist. Dr. J, give me a percentage and why you think that percentage of what he'll be when he comes back. Um, wrist injury, uh, I, can't, I don't recall. I don't know, Dr. Ben, if you could pipe in on this. Was it a scaphoid fracture or was this a radio radio fracture? Uh, I think it was a metacarpal fracture. Okay. All right. So it's left sorry, go ahead. on his left his hand. Off hand too, right? Okay. So then he, he's going to be fine. Uh, sorry for the science nerdy talk here, guys. <laughs> no. no, go ahead, man. <laughs> Love it. 
So the metacarpal is a, is a, there's eight of them, small little bones that literally take your, um, your metacarpal hand bones to, towards your forearm. So basically join that in there. And the greatest thing about this injury, like uh, Ben said, it's on his off hand. So it's not on the hand that's actually following through. It's on the hand that guides through. So he'll be back shooting threes from half court uh, in no time. And the reason why I like what's happening now with injuries, and I know you said 15 seconds, but in comparison to back in the day. Sorry, sorry. Take your time. Take your time. Take your time, man. That's all good. (laughs) But the good thing is with these guys, they have way more power now than previous players before. Previous players before they get injured, they want to come back as fast as possible because they don't want to lose money and they don't want to lose their place. But these guys, they're like, eh, I don't need to come back so fast. I can make money selling pizzas. I can make money um, selling cars with endorsements and whatnot. So they're not dependent on their game money because they got others. Am I allowed to swear, by the way? They got yeah, other yeah, stuff going on. Right. They got other <laughs> stuff going on. So that's one of the reasons why they take so long to come back. But with regards to Steph, He'll be back 100%, and this is not as serious injury as the others on the list. All right. Dr. B. Yeah, I have to co-sign that. Steph, offhand, metacarpal injury, he'll be 100% and back to his normal self. I think this was just a year Golden State Warriors just said, we're just going to hang it up this year, collect this draft pick. We'll be in the finals next year type, type, or, type deal. So, All right. Steph. 100% he'll be back to normal. All right, Nelly J. 100% man, like from what the doctors described, is, is off shooting hand too? Stuff will be back in the finals next year or at least conference finals. <laughs> yeah, I can't go against Floor on this one, 100%. Uh, for the reasons you guys list, stated, sounds good to me. All right, next one we'll go with Clay. Clay was out with an ACL. Was it, uh, so, torn ACL? It was torn. Yes. Torn ACL, Dr. J. Well, okay. So here's my take on this one. And I, I'm almost going to draw in the next person that we get to, I think, on the list as well. I am very suspect of this Golden State organization and their healthcare. Uh, Dr. Bowman, you can type in again. <laughs> I am suspect of them on the way that they managed KD's initial injury, which most likely was a strain of his Achilles slash gastroc. Um, and I don't think they manage that well. So do I know if they're going to manage this ACL as well as they need to? I don't know. But just from that that uh, story, I'm, I'm skeptical that Clay will be back to his explosive self. I can't see him going to the rim um, with the same amount of force and, and speed. He'll, he won't lose his shooting touch because he didn't jump that high off the ground anyway. But with regards to his game going to the basket, I don't think that's going to be the same. So give me a percentage. Uh, I'm going to say eight, 75. 75. All right. Yeah. Dr. J. I mean, Dr. Dr. B. B. Sorry, Dr. B. So just giving a little background on Clay's ACL. If you remember prior to him tearing that ACL, he had strained his hamstring earlier. This is true. So for those who don't know, the hamstring is like your muscular version of your ACL. So my concern for Clay, and usually once you tear your hamstring, it's likely you're going to tear it again. That's, one, that's the thing about those hamstrings. You, there's a higher chance of re-tearing. So for Clay, 
I would probably say 85% because I, his offense, I don't think, will be affected as much because he's just a straight-up marksman. So he just shoots the ball from anywhere. But I think his defensive side is going to be affected. Mm-hmm. And Clay was pretty much the on-the-ball defender for that team. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to find – well, they'll see how Clay responds, but my concern is him on the defensive side. I don't know if he's going to be as effective defensively as he was in the past which is why I stayed 85 or so. And that just reiterates my point about the fact that they didn't manage, they don't manage injuries well, in my opinion. Because <laughs> the fact that he had this hamstring injury that probably didn't heal correctly, right, Ben? Yep. And he just came up, and the next injury was the ACL. Yep, it led right to the ACL injury. I think the hamstring is what led to him actually tearing his ACL. Because he wasn't yeah, able totally to forgot about that. Standing. Good point. Thank nice. God for doctors in the show, because for him, I would have been like, <laughs> no, but um, after hearing you guys' your feedback, I definitely would say Clay Paul would be, I think, I'm going I'm to go low. I'm going to be 70%, because Clay's value was defense. Like, he could do defense, and he can shoot the ball exceptionally well. His shooting will not change. I think his defensive impact will change, and being explosive to the rim, that, that's also going to be gone as well. And if it's a hamstring, now ACL, Bro, Fahim, and I know about this guy. <laughs> so I'm going to say 75, 70% for, 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 uh, for Clay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with the same. That's, you guys sold me on this. Uh, I'm going 75. Uh, next one. KD, Kevin Durant. You well, kind of touched upon it, Dr. J. So, um, For anyone who's out there that does not know, the importance of the Achilles tendon. Um, it literally is the strongest tendon in your entire body. Um, when it tears, it sounds, some people describe it as a gunshot, some, some people sound it as a, a clapping. Uh, it's that strong and it's that powerful. And it is literally responsible for that initial phase to get off the ground and, 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 and jump. You watch basketball, you watch KD, you see how he plays. He is explosive like no other. Uh, jump shot, smooth. Offensive games, probably in, if, if he didn't get injured, I would have said he probably would have been one of the greatest offensive players of all time. This is really going to slow him down. He is definitely not going to be the same player. And it's so sad for me to say this out, out loud. Mm-hmm. But um, as, I, as I was initially trying to tell you guys, I have 12 Achilles tendon rupture patients in my office right now. Twelve of them. Twelve? Twelve. Twelve. And interestingly and sadly enough, they are all of West Indian African descent. And again, physiology-wise, I don't remember this study. Ben, I don't know if you recall it as well, but they did a study looking at um, Caucasian and African um, cadavers, and they said that our Achilles tendon is a lot longer than the average human that's out there. Mm. And that allows for a greater amount of potential energy, which allows us to run faster. And if you want to go through the anthropology genetics, running away from lions, tigers, and all kinds of stuff in another life. But my point is, going back to KD, he's not going to be running from lions, tigers, or jumping out the gym like he did before. (laughs) 60%. (laughs) 60, okay. 60%, whoa. You spoken, all right. Dr. B. Yeah, Katie, Katie's a tough one because as, as Dr. J mentioned, he suffered a, a Achilles strain initially. My 
thoughts is he probably had torn it then. It was Absolutely. probably partially torn. I remember seeing that ice pack all the way down by his ankle on the back. I'm like, that is not, <laughs> that is not an ankle sprain. You don't sprain your ankle and ice the back of your heel. <laughs> he had a partial tear before. Um, so my concern is that yeah, he's not going to be as explosive as he was. Um, but Katie, I think that offensive skill set he has, he may not be, he may be like 75%, but 75% of KD is 95%. So he's going to get from what he was previously, but I think he will still be just as effective offensively. Yeah. I think, I think Katie's mentality, like, his mental game is so strong. Like, he will find a way to be effective on the court. Um, the injury, of course, will be detrimental to how fast and his quickness and his agility. But I think Katie will get still get buckets. He will still drop the double team. If your team tries to only put one man on KD, you will you will you will burn. So because he will still have that effect against defenses, and people will still want to guard him, especially if you play the Kyrie as well. I think he'll be probably be at seventy percent, seventy, meaning that I don't think he will be as quick and amazing as he was. But he'll still be a top five player in the NBA. So that's still pretty good. <laughs> uh, with this, I'm going to go with – so who said the lowest? You said 70? No. I said 60. You said 60. 60. Yeah. I'm going to go with 59. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's the reason. Um, so I remember uh, Chauncey Billups. He had the same injury, right? Mm. Yeah, and I so Chauncey Billups. I was a big Chauncey Billups fan. Chauncey Billups, when it happened before, um, I remember having a discussion with someone like ten years ago, eight years ago, whenever it was, and really hedging on the fact that like, yo, Chauncey Billups. It's not like he's super athletic. He's not dunking on people. When he comes back, you know, his, his he's going to be limited, but you know, he's still going to have his game. Chauncey Billups, when he came back and played for the Clippers, he was the injury added on like five years to his career. He was not the player that he was. So that's where I'm at with KD. KD's, what, 30 years old now? Mm-hmm. I think this injury's just tacking on another five years. So I think the KD we're looking at will be a 35-year-old KD um, with, thank you very much for, uh, for both doctors and providing like the medical and the, the professional background in regards to why. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll see uh, an older version of KD um, not quite like lack of explosiveness, but still because like like we know he's tall, he can get a shot off. He's, you know he could play, he could pass, he could do. He'll get around, but he I mean, he could play any it's gonna it's gonna take a while for us, I think, to adjust. Just that this is the new Kevin Durant, but like you said, a top five player in the league. Anyone here who doesn't think you'd be a top five player in the league? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, Doctor J. I'm sad. I'm sadly have to agree. Uh, it's going to be really hard to watch him not be able to do what he used to he do. He used to do, right. And I want to be wrong. I, right. I really do want to be wrong. Yeah. But I, I don't think I'm I, we're, I don't think we're right wrong on this one. But okay. And, and then that, that's where I hedge to. I, I kind of agree also. Last person, John Wall. Now, we probably even forgot that John Wall plays in the, in the NBA because he's been gone <laughs> for like five seasons. Who's that? Who's John Wall again? <laughs> What team is he on? I don't even know what he's on. He's on the Wizards. <laughs> For real. Um, so he's out with the, with the Achilles. Um, so real quick, 
percentage. And, and his is going to be interesting because he's been out the longest. So, Dr. J, what do you say? Again, if, if anyone, again, is listening intently and is looking um, to fulfill a potential career in physical therapy, um, like, my, like myself and my colleague Ben here, you're recognizing that there's always some initial trauma first. So with John Wall, he had those, I think he had plantar fasciitis, fasciosis, heel pains, and then the entire Achilles now ruptured. So these are all, in, all things that everyone should be listening to their body. If you're noticing these, something going on, investigate it. These guys are playing at the highest level. I still don't understand how they're not getting the proper attention that they should be getting. Uh, John Wall's game is quick, fast. He drives the ball. He's running downhill the entire time. He yeah. won't be able to do that as fast uh, when he returns from this injury. I feel like it's, he's been out this year for like two years now. At least two years, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm even going to give him lower than KD. I think I'm going to go with a, 40, a 45 or 45. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not, he's not going to be better. And again, I want to be wrong. I want right, to be of course. Prove <laughs> me wrong, John Wall. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. B. Yeah, John Wall's a tough one because his whole game is predicated on that speed, agility, and quickness he has. He was, if not, definitely top three most explosive point guards that I've seen in the NBA mm. in recent years behind, yeah. like, you know, D. Rose and Russ. So for John Wall, and he doesn't really have a jump shot, so... I think his game's going to be affected the most of all these players we've talked about. I would say right. probably, I won't go as low as 45, but I'd say like 50, 55% of what. <laughs> so he better be working on that jumper because uh, I don't think that explosiveness he had in the past is coming back. Nelly J. Um, yeah, I, I think he'll be 40%. No offense, like his entire game was just being quick and fast and like finding the open, like open man, like he was just that like player. Now that he's gonna be the, 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 what an old man in the court, I feel like he won't be an issue anymore. So he better be shooting, and if not, he'll be a six man because John Wall coming back to start. I mean, I mean, it'll be hard for him to do that now because these young kids are like a different level, right? So I just don't think he'll be start. I, I think his career is going to be up, like not obsolete, but I don't think he will see another All Star game again. Mm -hmm. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go with like four. I'm going to go with 50. Uh, one thing is he could – he knows his position. He's always been a point guard. Yes, he relied on explosiveness, but he could pass the ball. Let's be fair. Yes. He, he had decent handles. Um, you know, his shot – if he had a better shot, perhaps it would give him more of an opportunity to expand his game. Yeah. Um, but you're right. If he doesn't have a shot and he's not relying on explosiveness – He's really going to have to buckle down because he wasn't always, always seen as, like, the most heady point guard also. You know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm around 50. Um, but, yeah, like, I think we got some, some, some good predictions here. Uh, as the season goes on, we'll be able to look back at this and see how close we were. Maybe we can revisit. Um, well, let's go to uh, For the Culture, Nelly J. For the Culture. So, y'all, I'm going to start it off. I'm going to pass it, do a little back a backdoor pass to a Fahim. <laughs> um, but no, for the culture, guys, this is an awesome topic. Again, you know, we want really some good feedback and your opinions on this, on this actual situation. But Michael Jordan, again, no, Michael Jordan has been doing the most stuff in, in the pandemic 
he's been making a lot of positive moves for the culture. He's helping with voting, with voting the depression in the States. He's helping with so many good programs in America for the African-American community. And now my boy MJ is an owner of a NASCAR team. That's right. What? Yo, Fahim. Right. <laughs> Crazy. So is Fahim will talk about more about this situation, but I do want to say, you know, for the culture, you know, we all talking about having black ownership, black owners, us black people, like what Joel is doing right now with his clinic, really trying to manifest more black people making big moves for the black community. So for the culture, we want to kind of highlight this ownership team and how MJ is now a NASCAR team owner. So Fahim, right. give us some background as to how this even happened. <laughs> okay, so um, first of all, I do not, I, I had to research this. I did, when it comes to NASCAR, Formula One car racing, I know nothing about it. Like, <laughs> you know, I know just the big names. That's about it. Um, I was borderline thinking it's not even a real sport. I remember th even th thinking that, like, anyone can get a license. Everyone drives. What makes these guys so special? I hadn't understood nothing about this. Uh, one thing about having Michael Jordan um, in NASCAR is it's going to educate not just me, but everyone else who has any interest in Michael Jordan and what he's doing um, in the sport. After doing a little bit of research, I found, like, I actually find a lot more respect uh, for these drivers. So I just want to pass on, I want to drop a gem just from the start. Um, I'm just going to go over some quick things about NASCAR. Uh, just answer real quick, a uh, good, good chance to educate, and then we can get into a little bit deeper in regards to what it's going to mean to the culture for Michael Jordan to do this, okay? So, first one, um, the most popular uh, NASCAR race is the Daytona 500. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's either A, O is the home opener, it opens the, the Daytona series, or it B closes it. Nelly J. I will say, oh Lord, I will say it, it opens it. Dr. J. I'm going to go with the same, open. Dr. B. I'm going to switch it up. I'll say close. One of us oh. got to be right. 50-50, <laughs> right? Yeah, so the Daytona 500 is always the home opener, okay? okay? And the winner of that automatically goes to what's called the Wall of Fame, all right? Um, so there's a cup series. I thought, actually, I honestly thought that NASCAR was just one race. I thought it was like uh, the Super Bowl. But no, it's an actual, it's an actual series uh, where they go for the, uh, it's like, uh, in, for instance, in tennis, for instance. Tennis you have, uh, starts with the Australian Open, then the U.S. Open, then Wimbledon, uh, then French Open, like there's majors. Same thing with NASCAR. They go on through the year. Um, so how many, how many cup series do you think they have uh, in a season? Um, I, I'm gonna guess probably one every month, so twelve. Oh, you know what? You know what? I'll say eleven. <laughs> Doctor J, I'm gonna say six. Doctor B, I'll probably say twelve. I felt like I see a NASCAR race every two weeks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> there's twenty-three. There's twenty-three of them. Yeah, there's twenty-three. Joel's face. Joel's like, by something like. <laughs> <laughs> and I should have went with the 20, 25 then. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's 23. Um, there's three national series. And there's a point system. And the point system goes, uh, goes by the position that you finish and the laps that you lead. 
and they do that for everyone and at the end they they get a point system with them so okay um, uh, We're learning today <laughs> for sure That's so cool. in regards to the stadium uh, the largest soccer stadium is in north korea it seats 150,000. That's the largest in the world. Uh, second is Camp Nou, which is in Spain, where Barcelona plays. That's at 100,000. Uh, third would be Wembley Stadium uh, in the UK, where the English national team plays, and that would be for 90,000. What do you think the largest NASCAR-specific motor speedway, what do you think the capacity is? Okay, this is going to be tough. Um, I will say 50,000. No, 60,000. Is my final answer, <laughs> Dr. J. I'm gonna say double nickel. Fifty thousand, double nickel. Fifty-five. Fifty-five. 55. 55. Okay. I'm like, what's double nickel? What is that term? <laughs> Put two what is that term? Together, it's a five-five. That's right. I got you, <laughs> Dr. B. Are we talking about just seating seats? Yes. Like that has to be like personality. <laughs> capacity of the old stadium. I'll say probably about about seventy-five. 257,000 people at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Wow. What? Wow. Yes. And not only that, <laughs> oh. this. there's 257,000 at Indianapolis. Second most is the Texas Motorway, 180,000. Wow. Next, Bristol Motor Speedway, 160,000. Also, not The Las Vegas up. Motor Speedway, 140. Thousand. I didn't know these stadiums existed. They're not running this during COVID, are they? <laughs> no. I hope not. <laughs> in the states, super spreader. Uh, Probably still hundred and forty thousand. <laughs> um, and uh, just real, real quick, one more. So, uh, who has the most NASCAR wins? A. Dale Earnhardt. B, Jeff Gordon, or C, Richard Petty? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. They're all three amazing. Um, they're, all, they're all really popular. I'll say, I'm going to say B. I don't know why I'm saying B. You're going with Dale Earnhardt? Yeah. It's a big name. Dr. J. Jeff Gordon. All right. Dr. B. You know, there was two Dale Earnhardts. There's a senior and junior. And a junior, that's right. Dale Earnhardt, because... If right, because he's too up. <laughs> uh, Richard Petty. And yeah, he has 200. Earnhardt had 76, and Jeff Gordon had 73. So Earnhardt. Okay. So, right. so, so Petty has two, hold on, he's 200, Petty? 200. Like, he, he's, the, he's the goat of NASCAR. He's the right? goat of NASCAR. Okay, so right. now we know he's the goat. Uh, well, I'm saying I want to throw one more in here because I, I found this one really interesting. What's the color of the fuel in a NASCAR car? Purple? I don't know. The color. <laughs> the color. Is, is it like purple? Blue? I don't know. Blue? You know, blue, blue. The field? No, the color of the fuel. The fuel. I'll say green. blue, maybe. I don't know. Green. Dr. J says, says green. Yeah. Dr. B. Uh, gold? Gasoline? <laughs> <laughs> Gasoline. Uh, you're right. Dr. J, you got it. It's, uh, it's green. Reason why it's 15% ethanol. And... Uh, and they make it uh, environmentally friendly. So NASCAR is actually committed to oh. being environmentally friendly because of the fact that obviously with cars pu putting up emissional gas, 
So what they've done is they've made uh, not only stadiums, but the entire circuit is uh, primarily solar energy wow. to, to, to combat and, and battle that, okay? So, so yeah, just, just uh, drop a gem, want to go on with this. So we have, there's, uh, two, uh, there's 20 uh, NASCAR, sorry, there's, it's, two, it's 20 million for a NASCAR team. And that's what Michael Jordan got himself. 20 million. That's 20 a good investment. For a team. The team, remember, it's not, it's not just a driver, so it's a driver. Which, and actually, the driver gets 50% of the purse. So mm -hmm. the rest of the 50 goes toward, like, his, uh, his team, you know, the, his pit. The engineers, yeah, the designers, everything. Like, everything. There's, a, there's a ton Coaches. of people. Out there. It, it trickles down, right? Now, I just want to mention this, and then we'll actually get into your, what your, your feedback in regards to Michael Jordan being in NASCAR. It's important to know this. Uh, there's, uh, so Bubba Wallace, I had no idea who he was before, uh, you know, this uh, BLM and COVID. I had no idea who Bubba Wallace was. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I thought he, and it's rare being a black driver. It's so rare that the only one who's won was somebody in 1963. His name was Wendell Scott. And here's, oh, wow. what, here's what we have to know about Wendell Scott. He won in 1963. Um, it was in a circuit in, in Florida. He won, but he was denied the trophy. And the reason why he was denied the trophy, uh, he won by, by two laps, by the way. It wasn't like, you know, down to the final wires. He won by two, two, uh, two laps. In 63, he was denied the trophy because of the fact that he was black. So he, they gave him the runner-up, and the person who came two laps after, they, they announced him the winner. They waited till everyone left the stadium. And at that night, Wendell Scott, the black driver, he protested for hours. And then they apologized and said, you know what? We, have, it's, we had a statistical error. And what they did is they gave him a portion of, of whatever won, but apparently what he won was barely enough to put gas in his car to take it out home. He, so he was robbed of, of his, uh, his winnings, and he didn't get the trophy. And part of the reason why was because they had a tradition of starting where a beauty pageant, um, she was a white woman, and the, the, what they started was after you win, you pop the bottle, and you get a kiss from the beauty pageant uh, winner. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't want to see a black man get a kiss Bye. from a pageant winner in a, in a white predominantly field. So they robbed Wendell Adams, sorry, Wendell Scott of this opportunity. So that's one to grow on in regards to Wendell Scott. Um, the reason why I throw this out now is NASCAR is having a, an issue right now in regards to ratings have been dropping. Now, mind you, it's still, it's still one of the most, most watched sports out there. But they're finding amongst the younger demographic, which was predominantly white, it's not quite hitting the way it was to the older generation. Mm -hmm. so there would be a strategic reason why they get Michael Jordan involved. Also. Yeah, Michael Jordan is not... Color because I think the average young person is like person of color now in the world. So, right. yeah. So, I, so I'm going to throw this out real quick. Uh, now knowing Michael Jordan is now uh, an owner um, of a team with a black driver, because now Bubba Wallace is now a household name also. Um, is that going to drive anyone else here to maybe pay more, a little bit more attention to NASCAR when you have the Jordan uh, car going around for laps? Um, I'm going to go out there and say it's definitely not going to spark my interest to watch this sport. I feel like it's, it's definitely not anything I had interest in before. And nothing to do with the fact that it was just all a bunch of redneck white people. But 
the driving around in a circle or a, a figure eight or a loop de doop like just didn't have any interest in, in anything that I'd like to do. And then let's add the fact that there is a huge Monte, how do you pronounce this word? Uh, there's just a money driven initiative by these companies uh, with regards to the unfortunate situation that has happened uh, this past summer. And, and I don't know what is more sickening. Uh, and again, I'm not in the boardroom, but it's pretty obvious that there's just a lot of businesses that are looking for an opportunity to join the social movement and not for the right reasons. And it's to make money. Yeah. Um, and then let's throw in Jordan. After the documentary, everybody's looking at this guy's side eye. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge, I was a huge Jordan fan as well, but that documentary really brought out some negative aspects of him, that, which I actually still admire for him to be doing because he, he drove his, his will into these guys to win. But is this an attempt by him to make himself look better, uh, more accepted in the black community? Who knows? Because he really wasn't like that when he was playing. Remember what Republicans buy Jordans to? So right. it's one of those things right now where I'm looking at it and I'm like, eh, I really don't care. I was more concerned and read stories when they found the noose in Bubba's uh, locker room. That upset me yeah. as well. So I, I have no interest to watch it, regardless of Jordan being it or not. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dr. B, real quick. Yeah, so with Jordan get, going to NASCAR, it may not pique my interest in watching NASCAR, but I'm seeing the moves he's making to enhance his brand. Because is Richard Petty uh, on the team he's signing to, or? No, actually, Bubba Wallace apparently is leaving uh, that, that team to go to the oh, Okay, so, um, and bringing Bubba Wallace on, I think for him, he's just trying to grow that Jordan brand. So I'm sure, like you said, Republicans buy Jordans too. Now you're going to have NASCAR fans buying Jordans. I'm sure <laughs> Jordan NASCAR okay. shoot. He's looking at different opportunities, different realms of the sport world to enhance his Jordan brand. And I think that's the move he's making with this. He's pretty much has somebody in every other sport tied to the Jordan brand. Um, NASCAR is next on his list. So I think he's making, he's making big moves for himself as a businessman. Um, but will that change, I think, the viewing population for NASCAR? Maybe some, but I don't think it's going to be a huge, a huge mover. Nelly J, real quick. Um, yeah, like I think, I mean, I didn't watch NASCAR before. I think I watched some like highlights, like if it shows on TV, but I'm not going to sit on, on the TV for three hours to watch, like Joel said, cars going in circles. Like, I, I, no, no. Time is money, money is time. But I will say this, right? A couple of things to admire about Jordan. Um, I think that documentary, like you said, it showed some size to Jordan that we didn't know about. But I think that documentary also made Jordan say, you know what, Jordan, I have been kind of ignorant to my power and to my platform. And I think that documentary helped him because this summer he's been doing so much more than he's ever done. I've ever seen in my life. So I think it said, you know what, Jordan, I kind of start doing things and make moves so that way I can uplift my people. So having Bubba as his driver, he didn't have to do that. He's Jordan. But he said, you know what, I need to have a black driver behind my brand. So I think he's making right moves yes for business wise but also i think for the community 
He's showing these guys, hey, LeBron, hey, KD, hey, Steph, guess what, guys? When you retire, work doesn't end. You know what I'm saying? We got to keep pushing our platform and keep uplifting our people in any sport, any parts of the world. So I think it's a good example for what to do when you retire. I think I saw last week that Jordan is still the highest paid athlete in terms of sneaker sales. Right. Out of every athlete. And the man retired how long ago? Like, he's still number one in shoe sales. So... Clearly, he did something right, and I think he's a trailblazer in a business sense, so I'm happy for him. I'm not, I'm not watching NASCAR, but I will look at his team to see how they're doing. But that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll shout out Michael Jordan. Shout uh, out. No, shout out Bob, Bob Wallace and all the best. And to me, uh, NASCAR, um, it's all about sponsorships. As we see, the, the driver comes out, he has patches all over the place. We're going to see the Jordan brand patch there. We're going to see the Charlotte Hornets probably. Definitely the Charlotte Hornets of uh, the NBA. We're going to see all type of branding uh, with it. Uh, and when I hear Bubba Wallace is, is racing, uh, I don't know if I'll watch it. I'll, I'll definitely check for the highlights maybe. You know, um, I got one, one last real quick one. So they drive, the drivers drive. Uh, they're in a car that's, they've been driving for uh, about, four hours in a car that uh, the heat goes to about 120 degrees Fahrenheit because uh, they're soup, right? When they go around. So, so how much, how much cups of urine do you think that they do when they come out? Because here's the thing, they have to use the washer and they're sweating on borderline dehydrating. How many cups of, of urine do you think, on average, when they do come out, that they're, that they're producing in, in, their, in their suit? I, oh, my gosh. I want to say four. You, four. You. Dr. J. <laughs> this is a grossly fascinating question. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, uh, I have a friend of mine that does amateur versions of this, and he okay. tells me that it's it's very challenging he's drenched right right and his core muscles are engaged the entire time right wow um, i didn't know that yeah it's it's not easy no nope. i'm gonna say 12 12, 12. cups yeah. 12 cups yeah <laughs> throwing it out there uh dr b i'm gonna go to reverse because he's sweating so much i hope he doesn't have to pee as much so i'm gonna <laughs> uh, probably like two three cups all right so the correct answer is sweat eight cups on average and and if you do see someone come out the car after and they douse douse them off with water it doesn't majority of time has nothing to do with the heat it's just because the fact that they just want to wash it off so they just let they'll just dump water down there and just wash it off oh i never see they don't want to walk around the heat with urine so that's good to know all right that's part that's absurd so What's absurd that happened was um, we had Tyrod Taylor. Yes. Um, he was getting uh, um, he was he was getting painkilling injection administered to him before the kickoff on this on I think last one Sunday, and the doctor punctured his lung. Yes. That's absurd. And absurd. This, I remember like when this came out, everyone was like, "Yo, why is he not starting? What's going on?" Might had a punctured lung. So to the doctors, how absurd is that? And how much pain do you think Tyrod was in to have like a pain injection, like injection, puncture, like his actual 
love. That's crazy to me. So, why are you hiding your face, Dr. J? Well, <laughs> I'm, hiding, I'm hiding my face because I've done this before to a patient. Um, You're absurd yeah. too, Dougie. <laughs> I've, been, well, I've been in practice for, what, 13 years now? And I think I've made, I'll come with, quote, unquote, two mistakes. And this was my first one. Um, and it, it, I have to blame myself because... Hey, this is going to be funny. It's a funny thing to say out loud, uh, Ben. I listened to the patient. And what I mean by that is they said, oh, my pain is right here. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to put the needle right where she was mentioning the pain. So here's the story. Went in there. She had neck pain. I did my treatment. It was a home visit, actually. It was a woman. She just had, um, just had her third child, so she couldn't come into the office. So I decided to do a home visit. It was a, a friend of my of his wife, and did assessment, did uh, everything I needed to do to do due diligence. Got consent, treated her, uh, did some soft tissue work, did a little bit of acupuncture in the posterior um, musculature in her neck, and I'm wrapping up, and she's like, "Oh, I still feel the pain. I just feel in this one spot right here, and right here is literally at the top of the shoulder, and there's a space there, guys. We call it like a dead space." where you can actually get right to the top of the lung. Mm -hmm. and really? Hold up. The lung's up here, too? I don't know that. Yeah. The, you said, uh, so for those who can't see, the lung, you're saying the lung is in the shoulders? Yes, up here, the, the shoulders. Peak, the absolute peak of the lung tissue, is, it sits literally right in the end. So no your collarbone, just below your collarbone? Just below your collarbone. Okay, continue. Then, so that's where she pointed, and I was... On my way out, like I said, I'm like, oh, okay, wait, one more thing. So I pull out another needle, put it in there, and let it sit for maybe five, five, five minutes. Took it out, and as I was taking it out, she's like, I don't feel too good. And I'm like, oh, as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shoot. I, I, I know exactly what this is. <laughs> I had to call the ambulance. They had to come in, and it was, it was quite a disaster. So it, my point is, it can happen. Wow. But nobody died. Which is really <laughs> Her lung didn't collapse, and and, not, and she didn't sue me, which is even better. Um, it, it was it, so I it was definitely a scary situation. I have to ask real quick then. Um, a punctured lung. What are we looking for the recovery time for that? If because is, is it like a cut where it just heals, or can it heal back to hundred percent? Just real quick. Well, the good thing is we have two of them, mm -hmm. so as one is healing and repairing uh the other one will take as much time as it needs to repair uh to give you the exact number i don't know that off the top of my head it's a ballpark like are we talking I about ben, years? i don't know ben if you know but i really okay. don't no okay. i don't but like i said there's two of them and the fact of the matter is that uh we got into the hospital on time and hopefully Tehran got to the hospital on time as well that he was able to get the necessary treatment that he needed that he needed but what is interesting, though, is acupuncture needles are very, very small. Yeah, like he had an actual painkiller injection. Yeah, and the pain, and the pain, and the, the injection for uh, an intravenous or a needle is a lot bigger. So just yeah. know how precise I was in hitting this lung. That's how good I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Dr. V. Oh, on this, bro. Absurd. Yeah, I, I do dry needling as well. So I use acupuncture needles. Um, 
for me, it's we know his ribs was fractured. So I think that was the original reason he was receiving a painkilling injection for Tyrod Taylor. So the absurd part for me is I should be feeling for a bone to give this injection. But clearly the doctor either went right through where the fracture was. That's, that's, that's the conclusion I've drawn. He was so precise, he went through <laughs> where the fractures was and, and hit the lung. Because usually you'd run into the bone before you get to that. You'd run into that rib before you get to the lungs. But um, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting story. And I have a skepticism behind it too. I'm wondering if they were trying to sip Tyrod. But that's my <laughs> no. Let's let's go with no. the rookie today. Uh, Look at yourself. Tyrod, uh, sit on the bench for this. <laughs> You're like, we don't, oh, want, we don't want to start you, bro. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. It's it's a rare situation that that this happens. So, um, and you would think a NFL team physician would must have done this. Well, I just want to throw this, this, this out. I just want to throw this real quick. Um, so the backup uh, QB, uh, his team chose him, I think, fifth, sixth, like a pretty high pick. And Tyrod is in the last – he's last year of a two-year contract. So this is it. So if you have – if they were really that much invested in Tyrod as their future QB, you don't go out that year and draft a quarterback, right? So playing to your conspiracy theory of possibly wanting to give, give, a, <laughs> give a reason for him to sit, now there's an opportunity because now you have a QB that theoretically is going to be on his way out. Well, up for a couple months. Like, yes, y'all ain't right, man. Just give him COVID. Yeah. Give, give him some COVID and then you can yes. go home, right? <laughs> you have to play the rookie. Tyrod's out with a punctured lung. You're right, right. Start it. We can't up, start you, Tyrod. Tyrod back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So awesome, let's man. Let's put it in the books. Let's let's that was episode seven. Yo, episode, episode number seven. Amazing. Like, yes, guys, I learned, first of all, I learned a lot. I feel, I feel empowered. I feel like, I don't know what it is, but the doctors were in the building. The doctors dropped all the knowledge, all the gems. And guys, they'll be back again. They have no choice. <laughs> okay, I'm calling it from now. Um, so, guys, before you head out, we want you guys to give your shout out, give your time to shout out your business, your practice, whatever you want. Let the, the folks know how to find you and how to, of course, support your business and what you guys are up to. Dr. J. J. Um, as I mentioned off the top, I have an amazing space out in Scarborough, East Toronto. Uh, we call it, It's called the Health Institute. Got a couple of initiatives that we're working on right now um, that I really wanted to highlight. Uh, I think the first one is, is we call it Community 4, and it is a group exercise-based training program for women specifically uh, what this pandemic has definitely uh, opened up my eyes and the eyes of many individuals is that um, the health preventative health measures aren't really focused amongst uh, the, the black community specifically women um, many of the frontline workers or many of the people that are dying are frontline workers unfortunately those frontline workers are women of uh, ethnicity they're the PSWs, the nurses, the janitors, all those people who are in those facilities uh, in and amongst this condition. They're working 12-hour shifts. They're sleeping minimally. They're eating poorly. 
they're definitely not exercising and they're definitely having no time to drink water as much as they should. So this program that we're putting forth is really trying to encourage um, women, young women, middle-aged women, aunts, uncles, grannies, grandmas, stepmoms, step-aunties, all of the older women in the community that don't see the value in resistance training and building muscle. Mm -hmm. uh, we want them in our space. The Community for Exercise Group program is designed to help build muscle, muscle tissue in women who don't see the value in weight training. Uh, you can get some more information from us by DMing us at the Health Institute. Uh, we're looking to start this program mid-October in Toronto. Very, very affordable. Uh, it's very important that everyone works out and lifts weights. It is one of our best ways to boost up our body, our frame, our immune system, all the things that we need to do to fight things. I'm not saying that it's going to cure COVID. That's not what I'm saying. But hand sanitizer, masks, and staying away from each other isn't going to boost our immune system. Yes. But building our strength, eating right, getting sleep, which I'm well overdue now because I'm up so late. Uh, <laughs> all things that we need to do uh, to keep those boost our immune system. So yes, check it out. Awesome. Dr. B. Dr. B. It's a shout out. Um, for me, I, I'm just going to shout out my wife, Melita. She's been holding down the fort during this COVID pandemic. Uh, for those who know, I'm also in school right now, so I'm, I'm, I'm up all night, most nights. Um, <laughs> but I uh, uh, wanted to shout out everyone to, again, we kind of discussed that mental health at uh, the beginning of this segment. Uh, you know, take the time out to reach out to family members, friends, you know, a lot of the time people are kind of in their own house, kind of isolated, you know, so just take, take the time out to reach out to all your friends and family and, uh, you know, you could help them through their, you know, mental health situation right now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And guys, I know Ben, like you have a PT, I think we have a PT, um, PT, a PT Instagram page, right? Yeah, we show PT how to stretch phenomenal. out and do different things. Want to repeat that once again just so they hear it? PT. PT Phenomenal. PT, PT Phenomenal. On Instagram. That's my Instagram right. handle. Nice. Um, if you want to get in touch. Awesome. Um, I'll do a quick shout out. I want to shout out something that happened actually last week. Um, so last Thursday, we had um washington versus browns game we had a female coach on each team and female ref for the first time in nfl history Heard that. huge so i want to shout out the coaches jennifer king for the browns chiefs with staff kylie brownson an official was sarah thomas they made history and that was actually on sunday so so kudos to those ladies and that's amazing so that's my shout out awesome um, I just want to actually want to shout out our guests. This was amazing, honestly. Uh, I appreciate the time that you have taken out uh, to come in, uh, share your experiences, and actually educate because there's a lot of things. Uh, I have side conversations uh, about things that I'm not in a position to really say. And it's good that you guys actually dropped some knowledge tonight that I can say, okay, you know what, I'm actually going to take uh, some of the knowledge you've taken and hopefully anyone that was uh, listen, they can actually take with them also. Because uh, it would help um, 
and I'm not just speaking, even speaking from the physical aspect, I'm talking from the mental also. Everything, this whole conversation uh, was highly educational and I think fun too. So I want to appreciate both you guys for coming through today. Uh, awesome. In the books. In the book, episode guys, number comment. seven. <laughs> episode seven. So comment, share, subscribe to the channel. Um, of course, we're going to have all of our guest handles, Health Institute, Big Up, uh, People Them in Scarborough. We're also Scarborough from Ben as well. Ben also Scarborough, man. So, Scarborough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we grew up in Scarborough. So, thanks, bro, for coming on. Uh, guys, check them out, support them. Any advice, anything you guys need to the physical, mental health? Check, check, um, you know, message these guys, reach out to them. They'll definitely be there to help you guys out. So not a problem. Try to push you in the right direction. So episode number seven. And we out. Take us in. Good Peace. Tuesdays. Good Tuesdays. Hashtag good Tuesdays. Take us in. Peace. Peace. <laughs>